0: Hi, this is Nick Dawson, Editor-in-Chief of TalkHouse Film. We're rerunning this episode of the TalkHouse podcast from 2017 because of the sad news that Agnes Varda just passed away at the age of 90. This was the last time that I saw her, and I think this really lovely conversation between her and Kirsten Johnson serves as a really fitting reminder of how incredible she was as a person, as an artist. I hope you enjoy Hi, this is Nick Dawson, the editor-in-chief of Film, and you're listening to the Film podcast. Last week's episode of the podcast featured Dolph Lundgren, and this week we have a conversation with another intimidatingly smart and seemingly ageless European filmmaker, Agnes Varda. An icon of a French new wave for films such as Cleo from 5 to 7, who has recently been putting her considerable energies into documentaries, most notably The Gleaners and I and The Beaches of Agnes, Varda is now 88 years old, but is still a vibrant force of nature who is continuing to make work in the defiance of time. Last week, Varda was in New York for a self-titled exhibit of artwork at Blum & Poe and a parallel French Institute film series, Agnes Varda, Life as Art. While she was in town, Varda sat down for a conversation with Kirsten Johnson, the longtime documentary cinematographer whose 2016 film camera person a memoir of sorts constructed from footage shot for other projects, won numerous awards, and was one of the finest non-fiction features of the year. Johnson is a huge Varda fan, and Varda was very interested in watching Camera Person before they met. As you'll hear, though, her busy schedule ultimately didn't allow for that. Johnson and Varda spoke at Blum & Poe after Johnson had wandered around the exhibit, which runs until April 15th. And in their conversation, they talk about some of the pieces on display, such as the mixed-media beach installation, which has real sand, a 2008 Varda video which reimagines a snapshot of strangers she took in 1956, a video triptych where you can follow characters when they leave the main screen, and a series of photos forgotten until just a few years ago, which Varda first exhibited in her courtyard in 1954. In a wonderfully engaged and thoughtful discussion, the two also touch on memory, how Varda's films play with time, finding permission as an artist, Farda's feelings about New York City, her forthcoming documentary with the artist J.R., and her favorite color. But of course... So
1: what is the name of the your site? Talk House Film. Talk on Film? Talk House Film. La Maison de Parole. She did house,
2: house film. Dark house Yeah,
1: You yeah. better know in what house we are. <laughs> we are in the house of Agnès. Not really.
2: No, it's a temporary house.
1: Yes, you know, New York is so frightening for me. Why? Two big, high, you know, skyscrapers, you see what? So many people together, very tight. I mean, I love what's happening here. First day I arrived, we went to the Met, and then we went to Mama. I love, you know what the art that is offered here. Yeah. But uh, I, I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to live here. What did And you I th- love a lot of people, so I come to meet people and to see films and discuss cinema. And, and now in a gallery, I mean, it's a treat for me to be in a New York gallery and a big gallery. You know, it's it, a big gallery. Yes, you're, you're, we're
2: we're here at
1: 66th, right off of Fifth Avenue. It's a big deal. Well, they have a huge gallery in Los Angeles, yeah. and that's the second, like the the side gallery, because it's smaller here. But and it's so New York. I was offered to be here, and it's very strange because it reminds me the houses where I we're living in Belgium, these narrow houses with the stairs like this all the way through, and it touches me very much. And they gave me four rooms. Have you been around? Yes, I went to the beach. Yes. You, I mean, you have this amazing. The seaside.
2: I wanted to take my shoes off. The image is incredible. You want to step
1: into the water and you want to put your feet in the sand. Because I think it's a theme that touches everybody. People love or not beaches, but they know what is the seaside. They know that the seaside represents the whole world the sky, the, the ocean, and the earth, the sand. Uh, it's, it's like expressing where is the world, and with that non-stop little noise, because this is not about tempest, this is not about sailing or swimming or doing any kind of sport, it's about a calm sea, a calm ocean, just a very, very discreet wave what? ending on the sand, and it's a landscape that touches me a lot but I know that other people feel that too
2: Uh, but you know usually I would say I know what to do when I get to the beach which is take off my shoes and walk to the edge which is absolutely what that piece makes me want to do I almost did it (laughs) you want to get into the video but I'm really curious about what you just said about this house this gallery this building reminding you of set in the past because I feel like your work is always about time travel
1: um, and the way that we relate to time. I have a nice relationship with time because the past is here, you know. I've spent time to, if I have something of my past, I just make it nowadays. I make it now and here. So, in, in my show, you know, like, did you see the thing about the terrace? Yes. Picture. Yes. And you see that photo I took, like a snapshot. And then every snapshot is so much raising questions. I say, where were where these people? Why did they come at that point, at that place, at that day? Did they know each other? Did they were there by chance? And it became a strong desire to imagine what could have happened before that snapshot. So I made it up. It's totally wrong maybe. but It is totally wrong and yet totally right, right? But yeah. It is, I don't know. Yeah. But I just ask some people to put to wear clothes looking like in the photo. I found an old lady, a man, a baby. You know, we took the, the elements but then I wrote that little story with family having a meeting and they meet, they kiss for hours and etc. But who knows? And I, I made it up so that It became the photo. And then I love what is before and what is after. And then the father, I hope it's the father, says, I want to be in the picture. So there is a little continuation of the image that I stole that day. And I like very much the idea that we can reinvent an image, we can reinvent the past. We can make it it that it makes sense for me today. Mm. And I have no nostalgia about what happened Weeks ago, months ago, and decades ago.
2: Well, that's one of the things that I was really wanting to ask you. I mean, when I look at that piece, which is still a still photograph against the, your moving, invented, performative version of it, those two things next to each other, uh, what I think about is permission, like your willingness to give yourself permission to reinvent any photo, to you know do the mise en scène of something that happened. When did you start feeling such a sense of permission in the world? And does it keep expanding? Why should be
1: forbidden of anything? I never ask for permission. I mean, I made my first film with fishermen. I asked them to be with me. I asked them to allow me to film them. I told them the story, which was fake, because I asked that man to pretend to be the husband of this one. I remade, in a way, the families with yes. people, neighbors, but they played the game with me. So, you know, recently, to to school to now, I recently achieved a documentary that I co-directed with the artist J.R. Yes. And we did that. We met people and then they allowed us to, to be with them and they allowed us to put them into the game and then it ended up with huge images of them after that made them express themselves, speak. So it's, it's a real documentary because we are careful about what they are, what they want to say. But also we, we play our game as being artists making strange images or, you know, enjoying that people we meet becomes actors of our dream. So the thing is that, as I said, reinventing reality doesn't kill, kill reality, they exist. the people exist, they have their own life, their problem, their joy. but we play with that, and the same thing I play with my past, you know it can I can take something out, bring it here on joy to remember it, and mostly reread it differently,
2: yeah, yeah,
1: so we all do that all the time. but I made it as a shape of art because like here you know. You have seen the triptych, right? Yes. So it's a quiet scene, like a Flemish painting in the kitchen. They don't speak, they do things. But I always question myself on a screen in a theater where do they go when they go off the screen? <laughs> when, you know, they yes. pass the line of the screen. Where do they go? Yes. And when do they come back? Yes. And so I wanted to open the screen, say, okay, I'm curious, they go there. That's where they go. Yeah, But it's endless because what is after that? What yeah, is-
2: and, I, and I love the moment. So you've got the interior scene where they're inside peeling apples and then on each side is the beach and there's a woman walking along the beach
1: and then suddenly she just comes in through the door in the middle screen with yeah. a piece of and kelp know, in her so, hand. And I allow myself, you speak about permission, to then suddenly to use the three screens to do the huge ocean. Yeah. So I, I play a game and then I cheat with the game. I, do, I allow myself to use the frames differently, the screen differently, and then use them as little images. So it's, I like to structure something, like in the film. But then inside the structure, I like to daydream and move and invent things so that people don't get bored because I decided this and that. It allows people to have different feelings, different impressions. And that's what I do. It, it's a métier. It's a métier, isn't
2: it? <laughs> it is its a craft. The it craft, is a work. Yes. 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 Of an
1: artist yeah. to propose things. It's a proposition, you know. Yeah. They go with my own fantasy, my own desire. But I want them, the people who come to exist, to have their own reaction. Maybe they don't like that. Maybe they like it. But because I change the rule all the time, they may grab something better than I did.
2: Well, that sense of playfulness, that willingness to sort of change the parameters, put frames around things, to have things, you know, switch people's who's which member of the family. Is there ever an edge of it for you that has uh, the stakes of transgression? I think, you know, sort of what's amazing to some of us when we look at yeah, when we look at your career and the way in which you, from the beginning, were innovating and making things that no one else had made before, and I would say don't get enough credit for having come up with certain ideas, so certain inventive playful ideas that, you know, then become what we know as the nouvelle vague. Uh, but but that playfulness, I'm just really curious are there places in it where you get afraid or where it feels like transgression to you or where it was
1: hard for you to go? Because you do make it look easy. You know, I started to think we have to fight against something. And what I fight against is imbecility. <laughs> Does this exist?
2: Not quite, but I, I love it. Um, being
1: being an imbecile stupidity. or being stupidity or idiocy. Yeah. Against stupidity and being lazy. Mm. That are the two things I fought. Against because if you slow it down, you can say, it's okay, you know, I have done this. People said, it's okay, maybe I should rest. could just enjoy going here and there. And then there is something in me, you say, don't stop thinking about what one can do and what I could still look for. I try not to repeat myself. And in the shapes of what I do, coming from the cinema, you know, I use... Cinema, I use video, I use photo. I try to reconciliate black and white and color, past and, and present, and video, cinema, you know, everything is always supposedly mm-hmm. fighting each other, you know. And I say, in my own life, in my own way of doing art or cinema, can I put that together? Can I be together? And that's what I look for, being co- coherent on, on yeah. this Coherent, correct, yeah. Coherent, coherent, yeah. Yeah. Oui. yeah,
2: yeah, which uh,
1: which allows also to escape from it.
2: And do you think that the sort of the prolificness and the working and the making then frees you from fears around the sort of when you say laziness or like pushing back against something that's banal,
1: right? Mm, trying to make something that's stronger or different or you know. No, it's not in that sense that I mean lazy, but. There are so many artists doing good things that we need to see, we need to appreciate, we need to swallow, to be fed with. If I stop looking at films or looking at painting or not looking at contemporary art, I'm stupid because then these people have made things for me to share with. You know, I'm, I'm proposing things I love people to share with me, the emotion or the laugh or the surprise, so I do the same with other artists. I don't want to stop looking at other people that like they do. I have a lot of enjoyment to see other, other artists work. And so like this collaboration with JR, for example,
2: the way he relates to scale gives you a new, new place to play on a certain level. Is it also the, like, in the collaboration with no. people that you yes, feel? Yes, just
1: because he works mostly in big cities. And I say, I take you to the country. <laughs> and we went only in villages. And the French name is Visage Village, which is a village. Somebody said it should be called cool in here, people and places. Maybe it's nice. Yeah. Maybe it's a nice American title. But I took him to the country. He took me in his truck. And we started to meet people, make them big, make them beautiful, make listen to them, making peace with people. Because the world is... Such a chaos of hate and stupidity and war and <coughs> drama. It, I, it's like escaping in a way, but at least do something which can give the feeling that people can get along. People love to meet others. They love to express themselves. They love to be loved. You know, it's a very simple subject. I'm not telling the whole world what's happening. I cannot compete.
2: Yeah. I think also one of the things that, for me, has been a strong part of being nourished by your work is the way in which um, you're paying so much attention to how much it matters to people to be seen, and this feels like a deep. This is a deep need in in me that I think about when I film other people, um, how people want to be seen. They
1: want to be heard. They want to express themselves. And it makes them feel good that somebody takes care. But that's why I chose a lot of people that are not supposed to be listened to, like the widows. Nobody listens to widows. They're boring, supposedly. I never saw a documentary about widows. And I made a big piece called Le Veuve de Noir Moutier. I listened to many of them. And I did a film about squatters. Because people speak about the homeless, but... The typical situation of the squatters is very difficult. They find a place, they are pushed. And, well, I did the gleaners that you heard about. Oh, yes. (laughs) That I have seen many times. (laughs) And you see the gleaners, it's interesting because I tell the story very often, but when you see, I notice there is somebody in the street and opens the, the garbage, and the other people turn. Because they are afraid that that person would be ashamed of, of opening. That they don't want to be seen doing what they are doing. They don't want to be looking at the person. And I went to them when they opened the garbage. you are damn right. Mm. Because there is a lot there that you can use. There is a lot that has been wasted. So it's the contrary. Instead of saying this is a question of shame, I say it's a question of good sense. So that's how I could approach... And see the situation totally differently, that they, they shouldn't be ashamed. They should be helped and they should have food. And so they find it where it is. And then I started to go in the field, and you've seen the film. And by the way, that's how I found these hard-shaped potatoes. That became a theme of my later work called Patatutopia. I made a big piece about hard-shaped potatoes breathing. Mm-hmm. So... I go to people, I learn something, and it brings me ideas, it brings me images. So it's a non-stop, what I would say, exchange with images, people, and the time passing by and moving things. So I know the cleaners has been seen and loved, and this is in 2000, 17 years ago. Yes. And now the subject is even worse, and people are much more aware of no waste of the food, trying to to see that some people go and get what is left over and they need it they eat what we throw away so it's it's interesting in my own life learning from the others you know
2: well that's you know the discovery of one thing leading to the next is part of why we love this work but i'm so curious that you use the word shame and the idea of shame and being ashamed because i think that this is you know, one of the fundamental uh, struggles that I've had as an artist in a certain way trying to relate to which things um, I've been ashamed to talk about or to show and the way in which one searches to understand what is shaming to another person so that I think that, you know, there's sort of the zone of what, what the person who is trying to make is doing and all of the shame that gets built up about, One's incapacities to make something that one is truly proud of. And then I think there's shame around the space of being filmed. And that sometimes when, when one is filming another person, you know, when you turn the camera away or keep filming, it's more about your own shame than the person's who is being filmed. And the problem is,
1: you want to do something with all these meetings, all these feelings you have. You want to make a film? You want to make art? You want to make a documentary or a fiction? Uh, If you wish to create something, you have to put yourself in a position that, uh, you know, if you are ashamed to do it, don't do it, stay home. And if you think that you have the right to try to get these images, and there is a limit to that. I know that there are things I don't want to film, including in the situation, some... Scenes should not be filmed. And some... way some, some women are treated, let's say, whore, you know, and the system of prostitution. It's a terrible subject because it's it's maybe moral, it's maybe social, it's maybe difficult, it's maybe religious, but at some point, I don't want to touch images that I don't even know how I can stand them. Yeah. So I limit my field right. of curiosity and understanding and filming. Every filmmaker does it, but some filmmakers are perverse, and they do pervert films. It's very interesting. <laughs> it could be very interesting as a spectator, as a cinephile, you know. way there are, like Bunuel, I loved the way Bunuel was perverse, but some other people are very much perverse. So we, we have to find our path, you know. Yeah in what we want to see and what we want to do. And then allow ourselves to be a little around, but I don't want just to do whatever, you know. Right,
2: right. And I think, you know, what's peculiar about the trajectory of my work is that I have worked filming on behalf of other people so that I have been in many different situations where the person who is directing the film wishes that I film something that I am not sure or not whether I wish to film. And so negotiating that territory. You did as DP,
1: you did as director of photography. That's right. You never
2: directed yourself, did you? I have directed myself. And this film that I made, camera person, I made out of footage that came from films that I shot for other people. I have to
1: see that. I would be thrilled. We continue the conversation later. That would be remarkable. it's It's unfair. It's not unfair. It's a great job. You know a lot about me, and I don't know what you did. So let's keep it for another day.
2: I have this feeling that you know how to find things out about people.
1: Well, if I've done something, I better see it. (laughs) Fair enough. We we pushed it for another day. Well, thank you. Well, let's
2: talk about color for one second. I, I do want to talk about color for one second. Can we talk about color for a moment? And yes, I'm here wearing all red and I've got orange socks and gold shoes and you're here wearing burgundy pants and a burgundy top and a big beautiful necklace and I just
1: think that we have
2: some things fit, in common about we color. We could be
1: in the same show.
2: Yes, I think we are
1: and in the same it. show. And <laughs> do But you know, I, I love colors and I think colors feed me with energy and when I saw your total red outfit, I say, hey, somebody who wears red is not totally bad. <laughs> well, you, I
2: did wear this specifically for you, but this is also the way I usually dress because I feel the same way um, about color, uh, that it connects me to the part of myself that's about love as opposed to fear. And it just opens all of that back up again. And, you know, it happens on the street. Like, you just generate interactions with people and my whole thing is filming and photography. What it is is relationships.
1: A, a photo is a relationship. Anyway, through that's time. how we met by looking at each other' outfit color. That's of right. Color the outfit. That's right. And then they are supposed to come to speak to me about serious things. So we'll go to it. But uh, we re- we would rather stay in color. What's your favorite color? Uh, more or less purple. Purple. Purple and then pale. Burgundy, and then, hmm, old red. Old red? And then, well, I like red meant being old, and then beige, pink, and then that's it. I don't want to go into that, you know. Uh, let's speak about cinema and art, please.
2: I also want to speak about the past. When you were saying the past is here with you in this moment, did, is the past here, do you feel people from your past with you in this show, in this gallery show here?
1: I don't know what you mean.
2: You know, when I look at that set of photos that's mounted, that is the 1954 exhibit that you had mounted in your yard, when you walk into that room, does it evoke people who were in that space in that time in 54 for you?
1: We've if I take the time to look at each, yes, yes, but in the same time, what I oh, look at, this is the typical New York noise. We're making a movie. Oh.
2: <laughs> this is the challenge. Uh, in of a way, a movie I love it York. because
1: it's so strongly. Yeah. What surprises us when we come? You know? Yeah. But I remember being here for the first time with Jacques Demy, and we were so afraid of the noise. You know, we were waiting for the next one to come. Really. Terribly. So about the past that you asked me about. The photos, they represent in the same time what I did, these people that I knew, and the, in a way the joy that some other people see them now. Yes. Because I put them in a drawer somewhere, in a box, I'd forgotten them. And when I took them out, I'd say, hey, it should be with other people I should share. Yeah. But you see, at that time, I was already a photographer of the théâtre. And I was doing beautiful images of Gérard Philippe, Jean Villard, Noiret, all these actors. And I had famous images being around as photographe de théâtre. But that was my personal work. I felt like I was working for the théâtre as a job, even though I took beautiful images. And that was what I kept for myself. It was already the separation of what you're supposed order to do and be paid for and what you do for yourself. That um, amuses me, because at that time, I could have shown more so-called beautiful images of theater. And I didn't do it, because I, I just showed what I felt like I was mine. So it's so interesting. that leap from making something for
2: yourself to being willing to show it to others, what's the step from that
1: place to the public place. Well, it's 55 years, 60 years, what it is.
2: <laughs> but it seems 54 like...
1: 54 to now, Where was it? Yeah. Yeah.
2: But, and you were able to do that in that moment as well as doing it again in this moment.
1: Somebody said, oh, that box that you opened, you should show it somewhere. I said, why not? I showed it once and then the gallery here, Bloom and Poe, uh, they heard about that. They asked to see it and decide they want to show it. And then they have the idea, which is interesting, that by showing three self-portraits when I was 20, 40, and 80, they can cover that they showed things that I made when I was 20, and this installation that I made after being 80. So it's just covering a life with just four little rooms where something specific tells what I did over the years, and how I feel now about it. I think it's a... I'm glad that they offered me that because it's an interesting small show, very concentrated about what I did, what I do.
2: And it's almost like being in this space in the moment with the siren going by and knowing that we're recording, it brings the past of being here in New York with Jacques Demi to you.
1: Yes, but I'm here and I hear that noise. And it brings you back to him. Back now. Right. I remember li- listening to that noise, being afraid, but I know I hear it now, which means I'm still alive. Doesn't mean too much because he's, <laughs> he's gone, you know, but I'm alive and I have to do what I have to do. Right.
2: But he's also here. When I was thinking of the people who are here, I often think about this with, with, with photos, the sort of the way in which, um, photos, uh, They keep the people connected to us but somehow the filmed image almost brings them back to life and I feel like this in your moment with the movie that you made next to the photo that you made uh, you feel the aliveness in the filmed version in a different way.
1: I don't know. I, I know that I feel blessed that I've been invited. I feel blessed that at the last part of my life nice things happening to Me happen and they make me feel good to be an artist and not to be kicked out. Doesn't mean that it will sell, but at least they show and I can share with people. Yeah, you're being, yeah, <laughs> Come you're, on. Like, you're like, cut I, already. I'm We're
2: tired. done. I'm We're tired done. of
1: speaking. Let's do it. Let's be done. Let's stop. I'm tired of speaking. Too much speech. Let's go look.
0: If you wish. This is Nick Dawson from Talkhouse Film, and you've been listening to Kirsten Johnson and Agnes Varda on the Talkhouse Film podcast. And if there are any words you missed in the past half hour, in case you don't speak perfect Varda, a transcript of Agnes and Kirsten's conversation can be found at TalkHouseFilm, Film, along with some great pictures of the two of them at Blum and Poe. Drop by next time for an incredible conversation between Morgan Spurlock and Louis Theroux. This episode was engineered by Mark Yoshizumi. The TalkHouse podcast producer is Elia Einhorn. For more filmmakers talking film and TV, visit TalkHouse.com film. Subscribe to TalkHouse film and TalkHouse music podcasts on iTunes and Stitcher, where you can find all our previous episodes. And while you're there, please rate and review as it helps others find the podcast.